This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carl's Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who I feel like were very close to being able to correctly pronounce the Ottawa Senators' recent third overall pick's last name. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, coming at you solo today because in this episode, I'm going to be presenting my amazing interview I did with Will Scouching all about the latest NHL draft. I recorded it yesterday. It was awesome, and I think you're really going to like it. So before we get to my interview with Will Scouching about the draft, let me just mention that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website out there. I love Dabber Hockey. There's all these signings still happening. Like Since our last episode last Sunday, which I hope you listened to, and like where Brian and I broke down all of the latest free agent acquisitions and all the latest trades, uh, since then, there's been more of them, right? Dadanov signed with the Sens, Gallagher has extended with the Habs, you know, and Dabber Hockey has got articles about each of these things breaking down the fantasy impact, and it's, it's always a really good read. If you're not keeping up with Dabber Hockey articles lately, then you are definitely missing out. But you know what? How about no more preamble for right now? How would I just let you get right into my interview with Scouching about the draft? I think you are really going to like this one, so enjoy. Okay, everybody, I'm really excited to give you this bonus episode of Keeping Carlson because we have a very special guest. This is someone who has been all over this latest NHL draft from his draft-a-thon live streams, like a million reports of all the players leading up to the draft. You got the, the blog. You know him as Scouching or Will Scouch. Welcome to Keeping Carlson. So happy to have you. Oh, one heck of a hype, man. Thank you very much for the introduction. I'm really, really happy to be here. Um, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, very well deserved the hype. Like I feel like of anyone, like I just have been reading all of your stuff and you and listening, and like you definitely know what you're talking about. I'm really excited. I actually just listened to you today on your podcast with uh, Dmitry Filipovich on the yes. PDO cast, which mm-hmm. is great. And you guys were talking about you know which teams did well or didn't do well in terms of the drafting, and of course, like that's important. We care about that, but I feel like I really want to get this other angle out of you today, which is like sort of the fantasy implications of this draft. Mm-hmm. Like, which players do we think are going to make an impact, and people should be you know, trying to get on their fantasy teams for next year, for you know people thinking like long term. And so I think it'll be really fun to just kind of go through the players picked in this draft, and maybe if we have time at the end, we could also talk about some people from previous drafts who maybe are about to step onto our radars. So sure. 
I definitely want to make the most of the time we have. So let's just dive right into it. First overall pick, of course, went to the Rangers, this lucky team that had second overall pick just last year. They got Capocaco. This year, no question about it. They pick Alexis Lafreniere. Obviously, I know you're going to tell me he's good, but like, how good are we talking? Like last year, uh, just to compare, like last year we had Jack Hughes taken first overall and leading into the draft. Like everyone was like, you know, we, we lose for Hughes. It was a saying. Mm-hmm. Like we'd been lear- yep. knew about Jack Hughes for a while. Like what's the hype for Lafreniere compared to Hughes? Well, it's actually kind of funny. I think with Jack Hughes, most people had a, an understanding that there were going to be adjustments for him. You know, smaller player, center, but, you know, real speedster, great transition player. But, you know, jumping from the USHL straight to the NHL is something I don't think anyone's ever done before. Um, so for him to, you know, on a team that struggled, I think, in the, with the Devils, I think for him, he, he he showed pretty well. But I think with Lafreniere, I think you see a much more NHL-ready package of talents. I mean, to me, Capo Caco kind of struggled as well in his first year with the Rangers, but over the course of the season started to slowly start to improve. But I think Lafreniere, you know, he'll, he, he might have a little bit of an adjustment period based on what I've seen of him, but I think he's a player who is going to have a very good rookie season in the NHL. Maybe not an 80-point guy, but, you know, a, a useful scoring player for the Rangers immediately. And I think that that's something that's valuable. Um, definitely the offense is there. Definitely you know, more strength on his feet, resiliency, more meat and potatoes, just getting the job done, especially offensively for him. So I definitely think we won't see the same type of adjustment period for this year's first overall pick. But uh, yeah, still a big fan of Jack Hughes, though, for sure, to to Uh say the least. Okay, yeah, maybe we could talk about Hughes a bit more later. But like sticking with Lafreniere, like, so yeah, I'm just trying to get a sense of like, what should we be expecting out of the gate? Like I'm thinking back a couple of years ago, Elias Pettersson had that amazing rookie season, almost a point per game. Then last year, you know, we saw the opposite side with the Jack Hughes. You're saying maybe not a point per game. The thing is, like, it seems like there's not a lot of space in the Rangers top six unless they shift things around because they do already have Panarin and Chris Kreider on the left wing. Do you mm-hmm. think that we're looking at Lafreniere as a like a third liner for the season, or are they going to shift people around? Well, I mean, if I was the coach of that team, I would probably shelter him at least to get started. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think that with what I came away with as an impression of him after his season, this season with Ramuski, I think that he kind of is a player who knows just how good he is, and he knows that. In the QMJHL, he probably shouldn't have been there this year if he could have done anything about it. And I think that there were some habits that formed that were a little bit, I would say, troubling and something that I think David Quinn, knowing what I know about David Quinn, will probably want to remove from his game. But when you look at how he played at the World Juniors, I mean, easy, uh, you can see what Lafreniere does that makes him so special. So it seems like he's a guy who kind of rises to the situation when it's put in front of him. He has the talent to be a guy that, you know, like we look at Andrei Svechnikov, who went uh, second overall but before the eighteen nineteen season, and he had a 40-point year in his rookie year. I think Lafreniere should be better than that. I think he starts the year maybe in a bit more of a sheltered role, just to get him familiar with the pace of the NHL, you know, just how hard that level of play is. But I think a, a 60, 70-point guy to get nice. started in his career might make sense. Uh, but it also really depends on how he's used, like you alluded to. It's depending on who he's playing with. Um, you know, he he's a good transition player, but I think that there were other players in the draft that are better. But in terms of offensive tools and that the offensive tools that are trig- like projectable, he, he he has a lot of them. So I think he's got he's going to hit the ground just fine with the Rangers for sure. 
Cool. And then I guess we might as well just talk about the other guy on this team that we brought up, Kapokako, who's also there. And you said Svechnikov, you know, had not the best rookie season in terms of points, like around 40 points, and he really broke out in year two. Are you expecting the same from Kako? Like, do you think he, he also, because he had very disappointing, right? A lot of people <laughs> were expecting him to come out and people were saying, I think Kako might be better than Hughes, at least in year one. Mm-hmm. And then maybe in year two, Hughes ends up being better. In the end, like, they both were kind of disappointing, at least for yeah. offense. And like, do you think Kako's going to have that Svechnikov jump in the second year? I hope so. He, you got to hope he does. I I think he, you know, he's always got the talent to do it. It's never been a question of talent with him. I mean, he, you know, I spent a, I, I made a little video that really looked at what Kako was doing uh, right and wrong in the NHL early, early in the season. And just, you know, it's kind of a fun exercise to see guys jumping straight into the NHL from, say, the Finnish Liga or from junior or whatever, and just seeing how their game changes. And with Kako, I mean, I just felt that, a lot of the things that made him special were just not on display, especially five on five strength on the puck was just not really there. Um, you know, he seemed a little bit uh, as more than just a step behind. Like he had, you know, not, I, I don't know. There were some weird things about his game that definitely need to be rectified. At least a five on five, he was producing a lot on the power play and he has the tools to be a guy that produces on the power play. Like he can blast shots from the, from the face off circle, but um, you know, I hope, uh, and I saw a little bit of, in the, of it in the playoffs, but there was a little bit more of what makes him special, but I don't know. It's, it, you gotta hope, right? I, I think he'll be fine. It's only year one and lots of guys struggle in year one, but, um, yeah, I think for him, the pace of the game was a lot really quickly. And if for some reason, there's something about Europeans playing on the Rangers and a few of them in the past have had issues and, you know, they just stagnate or get frustrated I think that might have been also a part of what happened with Kako here. So hopefully they can sort of replenish that 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 kind of side of the game for him because he's just too good to be an underwhelming player. I, I remember really liking what he was playing as in, in Finland. So he, he certainly deserved the second overall spot. It's just got to be a matter of the Rangers kind of getting him back on track, which I he has the talent to do so for sure. Right, so the Rangers, man, they could just be such a good team. Yes. So soon. Like, they're a team that we were thinking they were in a rebuild. This rebuild seems over, right? They got Panarin. Obviously, that signaled something. They also yep. have Shostyorkin in net. Like, I just feel like if things go right, I guess the defense is going to have to be a big part of it. But, like, this team could go really far. 100%. Yeah, they even have like yeah, we kind of like Keandre Miller and like all these yep. prospects and, yep. and veterans. Man, this two, team. two young goalies. Like, they got a lot going for them. So this could be the beginning of their sort of upward trajectory, I hope, because they've got a lot of good young talent there yeah for sure i mean you gotta hope so okay so if you had to pick right now who's gonna get more points next year lafreniere or kako lafreniere i think so i think Uh, lafreniere is gonna have a nice season (laughs) all right so that's good is is he your calder pick right now oh uh he would be close i mean i i i i have a list of 2019 picks here i have guys that haven't played in the nhl yet like i don't see alex turcott really trajectory wise being that kind of a player i don't think anyone else really is going to be in the nhl next season just looking at this dylan cousins maybe but i think lafreniere could could be a better player than that Mort cider i doubt would be a calder trophy kind of player victor soderstrom i doubt it as well and there's a lot of americans who are still in college so i would say that lafreniere is probably right there uh as the early sort of guy i would have my eye on but uh yeah, I mean, you know, maybe Vitaly Kravtsov hits the ground running with the Rangers as well and, and, and has a heck of a year. But um, Lafreniere would probably be the safe bet, I would say. He's the front runner. Uh, one guy you haven't mentioned, Kirill Kaprizov. I know people are really excited about him. Yeah. He can pull yeah, a Panarin. I guess he would be eligible, it. right? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, he'd be 25, right? So he would be eligible. That would be strange, but it'll be a good year, I think. Okay. All right. So I guess enough Rangers talk. I guess we've got to move on to now the team that had second overall. You you brought up Alex Turcott, And so LA Kings also have been getting a lot of good picks lately. I know they also had Cal- We actually had a question just today. Yeah, before we get to Quinton Byfield, a uh, question I just saw today. Kaliev or Turcott? Who do you like better for long-term upside? For, for well, I mean, we were talking briefly about fantasy hockey for a minute. I mean, I think for just a points-only fantasy perspective, I mean, Arthur Kaliev is going to score points, I think, at the NHL level. Like, the player that always he reminded me of a little bit was more like a Thomas Vanek, where mm. Thomas Vanek, you don't think about it, and he has a goal. You know, you don't really think about him too much, and, and then the, at the end of the year, he has 70 points. So I don't mind that player on my team, even if you want to pull your hair out sometimes when you watch him, <laughs> but he's going to score points. Like, Kaliev has some ridiculous skill with his hands. He has an unbelievable shot, pretty good vision in the offensive zone as well, but... There's a lot of times you want to pull your hair out. Whereas Alex Turcott, I mean, I think he's a more com- a much more complete player than Kaliev. Um, I-, I mean, I'm really happy that the LA Kings didn't overthink things at second overall and just took Quinton Byfield because now you have Kopitar, Byfield, Turcott down the middle for the next five years or so, assuming Kopitar sticks around, which he should. I mean... I'm happy with that. And I think with Turcotte, I think he's going to be a good impact player overall. He was always more of a play facilitator rather than, you know, a show-offy offensive player. But he's just a really, really smart two-way center with good offensive ability. And I think that you having a good version of that player is not a bad thing. And Quinton Byfield gives you even more firepower to work with, which is just so great. It's just so great. The Kings are looking really good, I think. Yeah, for sure. And so let's get into Byfield. They take him second overall. You say you like this pick. All of a sudden, like you say, this team that, like, I was trying to think, like, who who was the second center last year? I guess it was maybe Jeff Carter. Yeah, But I've got so. to imagine, at this point, you think that Quinton Byfield, you know, comes into the NHL and right away is the second line center? Or do you think he also maybe needs some time to get adjusted? I think he gets, if I'm the LA Kings, I mean... I, you have to be kind of careful because there's a lot of veterans on that team who have won before. But if, if all things being equal, like I would probably pitch it to the team as like, our expectations are pretty low. Like I, I don't think the LA Kings are in a position yet to be straight up contenders, but I also believe that they could be a team where if they play their youth and they're, they're confident in their youth, they have good veterans already there. They could be one of these teams like the Vancouver Canucks this year, who, People kind of thought they were going to struggle in the playoffs, but they just found ways to win and their youth really showed up. And so for the LA Kings, like the way I would frame it is like, guys, we, our expectations should be relatively low because we're still building and we've got young players and they're going to try to find their way. You know, we're going to throw Quinton Byfield out there second or third line minutes. We're going to have Alex Turcotte out there for at least a few games. And, you know, it might be a little messy from time to time. You might, you know, want to pull your hair out a little bit, but like, the whole goal is to work with these guys and get them comfortable in the NHL because at the end of the day, they're going to be in a much better spot. Like Byfield going back to the OHL, if they did it, I would understand why. I would probably use it as a last resort because I just think that a guy like that in the OHL next season, I feel like he'd be better served in the NHL, even if it were as a third line center playing in a very sheltered, more offensive situation where he can you know, play more to his strengths and work on his weaknesses you know, at, a, at his own pace. I, I think if it's up to me, I give him as many games as I as I need at the beginning of the season, whether it's five or ten games. 
and just see what he can do. And if he's not struggling, I give him the year because I think he's good enough. He, he has the talent. The biggest question mark that has been raised that I was able to co-opt was he's not extremely consistent with his with his defensive work rate, especially with regards to using his frame. But that's because personally, I don't, I don't think he needs to as much as most people might think he really, he anticipates the play really, really well. And once he gets that puck back, he's off, he's gone. And he can be a really, really hard player to stop. So I would definitely like to see him in a Kings uniform for at least a little bit. If it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world, but I just feel he's in that weird between spot where he might be a little bit too much for the OHL might be not a hundred percent ready to be a full-time NHL contributor. But if you frame it the right way, I think it's a manageable situation. But in terms of fantasy, if it's like a one-year league, sounds like you're saying you're very confident Lafreniere is there like for the whole season and Byfield is a bit of a coin toss. You don't don't want to invest too much. I would probably not do it. But again, like I think the talent, the raw talent is enough where he can where he can play Mm -hmm. so it's just going to be kind of like up to him and up to the coaching staff and and everything and he's a guy where I would be comfortable trying him out in the NHL and I think I'm a little bit more in the minority on that but I, I still I just really believe in the guy I really like what he brings to the game yeah and I mean like you said like I feel like what do the Kings have to lose anyways it's not as if yeah. he's expecting them to be that great anyway yeah uh, so I guess the question is in terms of fantasy I know you said a lot of great things about Alex Turcott shouldn't we assume that in terms of his fantasy value like Alex Turcott kind of really tumbles now if he's going to be behind Byfield and Kopitar and be a bottom six center for the next like five years like you said doesn't seem like there's gonna be much upside for him to break like 50 points like how much how many points can a yeah, third center get it's entirely possible and I'm actually a person who has Alex Turcott in a in a dynasty league so oh. I, I have to be uh a little bit uh I have to actually think about this myself so you know I I think that there's nothing wrong if you're looking at a contending NHL team. There's nothing wrong with too many really good centers. I think it's a good problem to have. And for the LA Kings, I mean, I think Alex Turcott as your third line center, you know, even if Anze Kopitar becomes old and broken at some point, Turcott could be one of the best ones out there in terms of just how smart he is and what he brings to the game. And I think there's a lot to like. Um, I don't. I don't. It, again, it's about how you frame it. Like I see it as a good thing that they have might have a guy like Alex Turcotte in your third line. Even, it means you can load up the ice time for your first three lines more if they're all working out. Let's say in two years, both Turcotte and Byfield are NHL regulars and they're you know filling the net full of goals and scoring points and everything. You know, maybe you can take the foot off the gas pedal with your fourth line, experiment a little more there, and, and play them ten minutes a night instead of twelve or fifteen. Right. So it depends. I think, you know, it it depends on how you frame it. Like, is Alex Turcott cool with that kind of ice time on the third line? I don't know. But some guys adjust better to that kind of a role and some guys don't. And you're going to have to see. You're going to have to find out. But but again, like those three players together are very, very talented. And that's not a bad problem to have if you're a team that's trying to go back to being a contender for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't know this, actually, Will, that you're a fantasy player. This, uh, Tell, I'd love to hear what's your experience. If you're in a dynasty league, is, are you winning like year in, year out because of all of your models? Extraordinarily mediocre. <laughs> Honestly, um, it is a mediocre project. There's one that I'm in that's just starting a second season, which I uh, I started on a rebuild um, because I, I don't know. I just the way that the teams were drafted and players were drafted, I ended up at the bottom end of the pool. So uh, took my took my draft picks and I'm I'm building there. But the other one. 
eh, it's it's a consistent mediocre every year I do fine. And I'm hoping that one year it's just going to be my year. Like there was a trade I made last year where I got Eric Halla and literally the next day he got hurt and didn't play a game. So it's like, dang, I guess that's how this is going to go. He was having a really good run uh, at the start of the year. Yes. And that's why I got him. You're the one who jinxed him. Yeah. That was me. Sorry, Eric. And yep, here we are. Now he's, now he's not even signed because of you. I have ruined it. Well, maybe it's hard for you, by the way. You're, like, putting out all these videos with your in-depth reports on every player, yeah. so it's kind of hard for you to have an advantage. I have a draft on Friday, and someone immediately mentioned that in the group chat that we have. It's like, so you realize that, like, everyone is just all over what you do, and everyone knows who you are, and, like, everyone it's like, all right, well, I'm also going to be wrong sometimes. Like, you can do whatever you want, but there are going to be situations where I'm wrong, and if you want to... You know, like if you want to take a guy just so I don't get him, sure. But uh, at your own peril, I suppose. Well, okay. I, I won't hold it against you if you decide not to like retweet <laughs> this interview until after your draft. If you don't want people to hear this. Uh, all right. So let's go now. Those were the obvious top two picks. Then Ottawa gets third and fifth pick. I'm already getting nervous now that I'm going to mispronounce Tim Stutzel. I've, I've been calling him Tim Stutzel, but then I heard uh, Dimitri say it in a whole fancy other way. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of German commentary. Uh, the best I can do is Stutzler. Um, Stutzler. Like, yeah, like a, with a real good sh at the beginning, like just a Stutzler. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen him play a lot. He's a lot of fun. Like if you want to talk about a fantasy hockey pickup, and you're only in a point scoring league, that guy is going to score points. I, I think that guy is probably going to have the third most points in his career amongst the guys at the top end of this draft, which oh. wouldn't be the worst pickup to get third overall. I He's a electrifying guy with probably one of the higher end skill levels and pace rates of anyone in this draft. Uh, really aggressive offensive player, you know, in terms of just attacking the offensive zone, he started to attack the middle of the ice more and more as the year went on. But even as a perimeter playmaker and a perimeter scorer, not the worst option. And I know you want your guys getting inside for scoring opportunities. And I think he has the talent to do it. And he did more of it as the year went on. But I mean, there are some things that I think he needs to sort out in terms of, you know, utilizing line mates and thinking the game on the fly and, and being more reliable in transitions, both directions. But I, I think he's going to learn uh, no problem and he'll at least be a guy who scores points and, and is competent as, as as an impact player so I think it's a perfectly reasonable pick at three you mentioned Jake Sanderson at five is that the pick I would have made no uh, but is he a good hockey player I think so does he have much fantasy upside probably not you know I think this is a guy who is going to I would I would categorize it as like a guy who makes everyone else's life easier where you know, he's such a great transition player offensively and defensively. And I think that's what drew so many people to him. The offensive game, it's there. Like he has some offensive tendencies. He can rush the puck into the offensive zone well, sends pucks out in front of the net quite often. But I think that the best parts of his game are more in the in the in the outside of the offensive zone area. You know, defensively, deep in the defensive zone on cycles, he can be a bit hit or miss. But generally when the puck is on his own stick or when he's chasing down guys who have it. He's a really, really good hockey player, and that's valuable. I mean, if you have a player like Sanderson on the ice who's transporting the puck around, then you can afford to put guys on the ice who maybe aren't such good transporters but are great finishers. And, mm. you know, you can you can use him effectively as sort of that kind of a role player. And by that, there might be some offense at the end of the day. 
are there better players that I probably would have want to build a franchise around at the fifth overall pick? I would say that's absolutely true. But I think Jake Sanderson's going to be a good top two pair guy. And when you add him to the group of defensemen they already have in Ottawa, I mean, it's fine. I think it's fine. It, you know, you can say that it's not the guy that you would have picked, but that you still got the guy. And, and they're, they're looking pretty decent in Ottawa, I would say. Although they, you could also say they could have looked much better. But the draft is over. You got to move on. And, and we'll see where we're at in a few years for sure. Yeah, I mean, this defense on Ottawa, maybe it's almost like you don't want to take, because I know a lot of people were saying that Jamie Drysdale is going to be like this big, like, offensive defenseman. We'll get to him in a second, you know, but maybe Ottawa didn't want to pick someone that would potentially challenge for the top power play because they already have Shabbat. They already have also Eric Brandstrom. So, like, how many of these types of players that are going to be competing for, like, the top offensive roles can you have? And, like, overall, also, this team, just, like, there are so many prospects. Like, is is Tim Stutzle, is he, like, now the, the number like obviously aside from let's say like a Brady Kachuk but I'm looking at like just people coming up like Batherson Logan Brown like Josh Norris uh like I feel like there's there's a bunch of other names like I don't know Abramov Formanton like maybe now we're getting yep. to guys who are clearly a lot less and then we've already mentioned some of these defensemen also Lassie Thompson is someone they picked recently mm-hmm. like to me this looks like a team that has like a ton of prospects I don't even know how they're gonna fit all of these people into the roster and not have like people playing in the you know fourth line that don't deserve it (laughs) it's not a bad problem to have and i think you know brady kachuk is is a guy who i think is a great impact player like you know one thing i've learned in the in the work that i do especially this season where i'm tracking just way more players is that i'm learning that i value impact a lot more than just looking at points or just looking at a guy's able ability to produce so for some for an example of what i mean is like brady kachuk is not only a player who is a solid offensive piece but his two-way impact on the game is is extremely positive he's a good defensive suppressor you know he makes life way easier for his line mates you know he he participates in play both offensively and defensively. And, you know, you can say, well, I would like the guy that can score a lot of points. But I think what I've learned very much over the last year is that there's a lot more to the game of hockey that allows production to occur. So there's an equation of all these things that need to happen, you know, in order to to create offensively. You need to get the puck out of your own zone. You need to get the puck through the neutral zone. You need to get the puck into the neutral zone, into the offensive zone. You need to have guys knowing where to go, where to find open ice, how to find the open ice. You need to adapt on the fly to defensemen who are, who are cutting off those lanes as they happen. There's a lot of things that go on where players need to be very aware of what's going on the ice and have an impact at both ends. And Brady Kachuk is a good example of that. Tim Stutzla, I think, is not necessarily that type of a player. I don't, I don't see it, but he's more of that offense pushing guy you know he's a good transition player he's an okay defensive player but it's all for him about attacking the offensive zone making plays shooting the puck um and i think that that makes him very valuable for ottawa because you do need players like that so him and brady kachuk one and two make a really interesting combination um for for their future and i i think those two guys are are their top young players i mean brandstrom as well has had a great uh, ahl season last year i mean at some point, I hope he can break his way into the NHL. But if he does, I mean, he's a, a heck of a defenseman as well. And him and Shabbat together with Sanderson, hopefully on the way in a season, maybe two years. It could be really interesting in Ottawa. Maybe not this season, but but not too much longer. Yeah. And hey, they just signed Dadanov today. They traded for yeah. Murray. We'll see. So I don't know. They, yeah. yeah, They're not team, but we'll see. I guess they need to hit the cap floor. Somehow. Yes, very true. 
So, okay, that's the, the Sens. I, I, I'd love to keep talking about the Sens because it is an interesting team. I could just ask you about all, maybe one quick final question. Let's say three years down, you're picking who's going to lead the Sens in defenseman points in three years. Like, is Shabbat still the obvious guy you want or is Brandstrom actually someone that could c- compete for that? I'm going to hedge my bets and say Shabbat because I don't really see a situation where the Ottawa Senators take him off their top power play unit and put Brandstrom there instead. I mean... I, just because of how much they seem to value Thomas Shabbat, I think he's an $8 million defenseman or something. So I don't think you take an $8 million defenseman who runs your power play and put in a kid. Um, so I'm going to say that Shabbat's that guy. Okay. But Brandstrom is not. Brandstrom is no slouch. I got to tell you, I, I like what I'm hearing because to be super nerdy and niche, I just bought a rookie card of Thomas Shabbat, hey. uh, graded 10 out of 10. So <laughs> There you go. Gonna- I'm waiting for them to make the playoffs. He'll lead them to the end, and I'm going to be rich. <laughs> yeah, but, okay. exactly. All right, so then uh, we've got the Red Wings in between. So I already mentioned uh, Drysdale at six, but of course we've got the Red Wings, who, poor Red Wings, by the way, they really like had such a terrible season, and the best they could get is fourth overall. But they get Lucas Raymond out of Sweden, and is it like is that an okay consolation prize, or should we really be feeling bad for them that they didn't oh, get one of the top two? Heavens, that's a good thing. Uh, Detroit got a good player. Um I am a really, really big believer in Lucas Raymond. I always have been. People have been finding reasons to knock him down draft boards and everything. But, I mean, he, he's a guy who, again, similar to that Brady Kachuk vibe, he just plays the game. He goes out and plays, and he's so good. He's, he's really smart. Like, that's the thing that really draws me to him is, is when you re- the more you watch him play and the more you try to get in his head as to what's going on the ice – the more you really see what he's trying to do and you, the more you see how valuable he is. He's so explosive on his feet. He's so quick to make reads. You know, he, he knows the routes to take to cut off transitions and get the puck back when he doesn't have it. I think there's some areas where he needs some work, but he's already doing way better in Sweden this year than he did last year. He's running their power play uh, in Forlunda. I mean, I, 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 every time I watched Lucas Raymond play hockey at the men's league level, I was really impressed with the potential of him. You know, he's not a guy, he was a guy who was getting his chances to score. He's got a great shot. Um, But for me, the best part about him was just how smart he was around the ice. He gave the opponent no time to think. He was aggressive. He was smart about how aggressive he was. Um, He's explosive on his feet. Maybe not the fastest guy in the world, but he gets around the ice really effectively. And, um, you know, if he can put more power on his frame, if he can get a separation gear so that he can he can create some space between him and defenders, work on his skill a little bit more to to be a bit more evasive with it uh, rather than more flashy, which can be his his approach more some of the time. But I, I really like the potential there, and I think the Red Wings got a great player. I mean, if you were to push for him at three, I wouldn't have been upset. The only other player for Detroit that I would have considered there is Marco Rossi, um, but. I don't know if, if Lucas Raymond was the guy everyone wanted, I wasn't going to say no, because I, I think that there's a lot of projectable ability for him uh, to be a, a top, I'd say a top line impact winger that will make a great foil for someone like an Anthony Mantha who needs someone to get him pucks or a uh, Dylan Larkin, who is a transition God with the puck on his stick. Whereas Lucas Raymond can do all of those things. But I think what he brings is that away from the puck skill that you really want and just that defense first approach to offense and i i really like what he brings to the table for sure cool do you think that what lucas raymond <laughs> arriving to detroit means probably tyler bertuzzi's time on the top line is not going to last much longer <laughs> maybe not uh it might not and i think uh you know all due respect to tyler bertuzzi um uh, but uh lucas raymond is a heck of a hockey player so uh we'll we'll let the we'll let the chips fall where they may when the time comes 
Right. Is, is Raymond someone that we're expecting to make the team like next year or is he? I don't think so. Uh, I think he's at least a season away. I don't think it's, I think the way that the, the pandemic is shaking out, they're not allowing NHL players who are drafted, who are playing in Europe to come over at all. So oh. I, I think it might be next season when he can even come to a camp. Um, but I think one more year, like I have to double check, but I think he's already matched his goal output from last year and it's been six games. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so he's doing well. Uh, he had an assist actually taken away from him. So he had four goals last year. He's already got three this year. So I'll take that. I mean, that's a nice improvement already. Um, and he's showing good possession results, getting more time on the power play. I, I think there's a lot to like about Raymond for sure. All right, so Detroit just needs to, uh, I mean, slowly but surely, I guess, I don't know, they signed Fabry, and yep. I guess we're assuming that Zadina is going to be healthy and hopefully ready to really step up next season. So I don't know, maybe they could start becoming good. <laughs> like, I, yeah. actually have Tom, I have Thomas Grice in one of my leagues, yeah. he went to Detroit, and I was like, is this good for me? Like, on one hand, he'll get a lot of games, <laughs> on the other hand, it's Detroit, but yep. I don't know, hopefully they'll be good at some point. Uh, I still, uh, yeah, I felt bad for them with their lottery pick, but now you're making me feel better for them. So, all right. Oh, it's fine. They're good. Uh, then, okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask you actually brought, oh wait. Okay. One thing I, you said, and then you went by it. You were talking about when you're talking about Stutzla, you said that you think that he'll be the third, uh, like overall point getters of this whole draft. Did you, is that with Lafreniere and Byfield one and two or do you have yeah, someone else? I would say, in? I, I would say so. I, I okay. think. I think so. I mean, the only guys that I think could maybe hold a candle over time, maybe a Marco Rossi or a Cole Perfetti, but I think Tim Stutzla is just such a great, skilled, electrifying offensive player that, you know, like you look at Patrick Kane's analytics, right? And and you can see, you could look at him and say, well, his defensive game isn't great. You know, Leon Dreisaitl is the same way. You could see impact results that are overwhelmingly offensive and then really underwhelming defensively, but you don't really care because the guys are scoring 100 points. And so... You know, I think Tim Stutzler could be a guy that that breaks the over a point per game barrier, you know, a few times because of just how much skill he has offensively. But I think uh, beyond that, I mean, there's going to be some things about his game that might have some trouble. But I, I have no questions about him scoring a lot of points in his career, I don't think. And you keep on bringing up Marco Rossi as someone who can maybe compete like that. And he's someone who fell all the way to ninth overall in the draft. I see in your blog, your, I guess it was your like last blog post before the draft where you put people into tiers and you rank mm-hmm. them. You had Marco Rossi number three. I did. And then he fell all the way to number nine. So is this just like all the teams in between are kind of dumb i guess you said that like detroit getting raymond is okay maybe ottawa getting stutzel is okay but then there's some other picks in between there that uh seems like minnesota really lucked out yeah i mean i'm not gonna like call anyone dumb but (laughs) i think that people really laser focused on the they really focused on little bits of marco rossi's game that you can poke holes in i mean i look at the guys that went off the board ahead of him you know at five, he would have been my guy for Ottawa. Like Stutzla and Rossi out of the same draft would have been insane pieces to build with. And it and to me, it gives the Ottawa Senators something they do need, which is a dynamic, tremendously talented center. I don't think they have that in their pipeline. Logan Brown is very good. Colin White is very good. Josh Norris is very good. But they don't have that like potential number one center right. rock you know, that you can depend on. Oh, I so think, perfect. Yeah, so I thought Rossi was going to be the guy at five. He played in their backyard, but apparently not. And so, you know, I look at Jamie Drysdale. I, he's, a good, he's a good defender. I think there's top pair potential there one day. Real minutes eater, but offensive leaning. I think his overall impact, he'll be a guy that you might need to wait and see 
what his actual impact on the game at both ends will be. I mean, Alexander Holtz, the data I tracked on him was far from desirable, but I still really like his goal-scoring ability. His skill is very, very enticing as well, and he's a good skater, but I still see the impact that Marco Rossi brings to the game and take that instead. Jack Quinn at eight. They played on the same team, and I don't know how you frame the argument that Jack Quinn was a guy that deserves a pick over Marco Rossi outside of very, very specific topics of discussion, but Marco Rossi, to me, is such a dynamic center. I mean, he's he's a guy who can both play at a pretty high pace. Everyone was criticizing his skating, but he got around the ice just fine. Um, and his coach said the same thing. It was like, you know, you'll underestimate Marco Rossi, but he'll just come out and beat you at hockey every single time. And, you know, he's he's a competitive kid. He's smart defensively. He He's not the most physical guy, but that's because he doesn't need to be. He's not the most flashy guy because he doesn't need to be. He just beats you. He just goes out, plays the game, and and that's what I really like to see out of players is guys who go out away from the puck, they read the game really well, keep up with the pace of play really effectively, and once the puck is turned over and they get the possession back, they're off like a shot. And Marco Rossi was an exceptional transition player offensively, really glued a great line of players in junior together. Um, and and to get him at nine for the Minnesota Wild, I mean, that that's a – that's an easy pick. Like it, it's a foundational player for that franchise, which is something they needed. And I didn't expect, I didn't even expect them to have the choice of two potential guys who could be that type of a player. I'm a little more skeptical of Cole Perfetti, but I, I think either of those players for the Minnesota wild would have been great picks. And Marco Rossi in Minnesota, I think is going to anchor that team for a long time, especially if you're, if you let him play in the NHL and really cut his teeth and, and learn how to play at that game because he might need some time to adjust, but I mean, he's also got the work ethic to certainly fill in whatever gaps he has. I, I just, I, I, he's been my third ranked guy almost all year. I, I really like him. Wow. And I feel like he just lands in a situation where, like we were saying with LA, like just might as well play Byfield because why yep. not? But like Minnesota, like we were before the draft, I was thinking like, what are they doing? They have no centers. Like they traded Eric Stahl. They like, you know, I guess Koivu, they did decide not to resign him. Not that they yep. could have expected much from him at this point. Then I remember uh, Brian, my co-host and I were talking about like Luke Coonan, maybe he's going to step up to be top. Like, he got traded yep. to Nashville. <laughs> so all of a sudden, like, could Marco Rossi, is he ready to come to the NHL? Because I feel like who else is going to be their number one center? Like Joel Erickson Eck? Yeah. And, and yeah. this is a, a spot now where we're looking at the Kevin Fiala, who really broke out last year. It's looking like he could be a star. And then we have Kirill Kaprasov coming in, who everyone's talking about, mm-hmm. that he's going to be amazing. So all of a sudden, I, I don't know, Marco Rossi is someone that jumps out at me in terms of fantasy, landed in one of the best spots. Like Alex Lafreniere, we were talking about how he might be third line left wing for a little while. Rossi, I don't know, unless you tell me differently, I don't see why he can't just jump in and center a top line or at least be in the top six right away. Yeah, they haven't really brought anyone in. I mean, they brought in Nick Benino. I mean, people kind of made fun of that trade when it happened at the draft, but I mean, they also acquired the pick that became Iraq Kuznetinov, and I would take that trade. I mean, you take the salary of Nick Benino, you give up a prospect, but they got some good re- they got some good picks in return. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I think Nick Benino could be a good center there for sure, and maybe Marcus Johansson can play center there. But yeah, I mean, the, the job is there for Marco Rossi. Joel Eriksson Ek plays there, sure. But like you said, the, the expectations for the Minnesota Wild, I mean, shouldn't be that high. I mean, they've got Cam Talbot in net. They've got a decent defense group in terms of Spurgeon, Suter, Dumbo, and Brodeen. I still, I don't expect them to be a contender. And I think that Marco Rossi, you know, he's either going to be apparently playing in the NHL or in Europe next year. And I would give him a chance in the NHL 
even if it's a third line center for that team and the two top centers on that team are Benino and Erickson Eck for whatever, or whatever you want to call it or, or Bugstad or whoever. Um, but yeah, I, I'm certainly curious to see what happens because I think he's got the brain and the work ethic to, to try and play in the NHL. Um, but you don't want to, and, and, and the only thing you want to avoid is him being disheartened or frustrated and, and annoyed with not being able to drive play like he has all of his career. But I mean, I, I think that you look at plenty of guys that are young and, and really smart and really talented who maybe have some shortcomings in terms of their skating. They usually figure that kind of thing out over time. I mean, I look at Elias Pettersson as the most recent example. He's not the best skater but his ability to, to manipulate op- opponents and skate with the puck and, and, and control the puck is, is elite. And so I think for Marco Rossi, you know, he has a bit of a different skill set that makes him special, but I, I think he has all the, all the potential to be at least an NHL player and have some decent two-way ability, even if he takes some time to adjust. But I, I'm curious to see what happens because Minnesota, you're right. Like I didn't even realize how shallow they were at that position, but you could do a lot worse, I think. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to watch. And by the way, yeah, Nick Benino. I don't want to say anything bad about Nick Benino, but like, I mean, I, has he ever been a number one center? Like, I feel like we've generally he is thought, now. Thought of him, yeah, <laughs> we've thought of him as like a third line center, and yeah. a really solid one at that. By the way, fun fact about Nick Benino: I have a good friend who went to musical theater school with his sister, Ali Benino. Oh, so. Well, there you go. So theoretically, I think if I really pushed for it, I could like meet Nick Benino. <laughs> Like, or at least get introduced. Like, I feel like I'm a few steps away. That's a podcast series right there. How yeah, I, I wonder. Yeah. Benino. <laughs> Chats with Beninos. Yeah. By the way, uh, it's really funny. So we've got this Jack Quinn guy who got picked by Buffalo right before Marco Rossi. And I was looking at your tiers here, just trying to find like where he is. I assumed, okay, you have Marco Rossi in tier two, along with Raymond and Stutzla. Then, so I thought, okay, probably then we'll have uh, Quinn in tier three. But no, he's not there. So then I went up to tier four, which has another like six, seven people. Mm-hmm. He's not there. Like you, you had Jack Quinn in your fifth tier among like 10 other people. Yep. So what? Yeah. What is this? So a couple of things with Jack Quinn. First, he's he's a strangely miscast player from what I tracked of him. So when I track data, it's only at five on five. I think that's the most valuable. Uh, that's when most of NHL games are played. Uh, and I think you can get the most information about an impact player from five on five play. Jack Quinn, everyone talks about how good of a scorer he is, but the data that I tracked, it was much more heavily leaned towards him creating plays in the offensive zone for his teammates. So it seems like he's a guy who's getting time on the power play and just cranking shots, um, and, and that's where his goals are coming from. But at five-on-five, five, from what I tracked, he's trying to utilize his line mates a lot. And so I will grant for sure that Jack Quinn is a player that I think is going to play in the NHL, and I think he's going to produce points. I think that's that's pretty easy to see where things kind of get sketchy for me is his age where he is much older than most guys eligible in this year's draft barely eligible for this year's draft anyway he was almost a 2019 guy and when I look at the season that he had and and the way that and the games that I tracked of him and what I came away with as an impression if I had drafted him at eighth overall last year and he had the season that he just had playing the way that he was playing I don't think I'd be as excited as uh, had I drafted, say, Marco Rossi last year and seen him this year. I look at Jack Quinn and see a guy who, in terms of projecting his game, really requires other players to do a lot of legwork. So his best assets are pretty much limited to the offensive zone. Really good board player, 
really aggressive on the puck in the offensive zone, decent transition player offensively, but I, his skating is not very efficient. He's not the quickest player I've tracked, at least not on a consistent basis. Um, you know, okay. Transition numbers overall, just, but also not very effective defensively. Uh, Marco Rossi in almost every category I tracked blew him out of the water. Um, and so I don't know. I, I, I've, I think Jack Quinn is a really good complementary scoring option down the road and playing on a line with say Jack Eichel in the future, he's Jack Eichel is going to make anyone look awesome. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got Jack Quinn down there and, and maybe he'll be a, a top six scoring guy for them. I don't, I think that's what the expectation is. I just, I don't know. It, and, and everyone I've spoken to about this, just to frame an argument why Jack Quinn would go first before Marco Rossi. And I haven't been able to get a really solid answer that makes a ton of sense because they don't come up with solid answers that make a ton of sense. So the only thing I can see is that literally just generating offense in the offensive zone is where Jack Quinn does have a bit of an advantage over Marco Rossi, but it's also not the biggest advantage that he has. And Marco Rossi everywhere else on the ice is much more of an impact player. So I guess the Buffalo Sabres had him in their sights. Maybe they thought Marco Rossi was going to be gone and they still just went with their guy. I don't know, but I, I, I was surprised to see Jack Quinn go first overall, but to see him go to see Marco Rossi go to Minnesota. Sure. I'll take it because Judd Brackett is a guy who knows what he's doing. Yeah. And the, I guess, you know, Buffalo, by the way, doesn't have to worry about people judging them because now everyone's talking about the Taylor Hall signings. Yes. They've, they've forgotten about Jack Quinn. And also I should say that I'm trying to think back to like the last times that we've seen picks that have made us all go like, like very early draft picks that I remember like Twitter and people were like, Oh, I think this, like they made a mistake. And I remember when the Sens took Brady Kachuk over Zadina, a lot of people were like, Oh, mm-hmm. what? Are, I guess it was more like actually Arizona taking Barrett Hayton that really had people scratching their head. And that bit. one. You know, we'll have to still wait and see, I guess. But I, I remember even Ottawa taking Brady Kachuk. Uh, some people were, like, surprised. I also remember mm-hmm. when uh, Columbus took Pierre-Luc Dubois ahead of Pouliarvi. A lot of people thought they really blew it there. And mm-hmm. so far, you know, with those ones, it's actually worked out for the people who reached for their guy. So, you know, I, I definitely, yeah. obviously, like, it's uh, my guess would be that you're correct because you, saw, you definitely seem to know what you're talking about. But obviously, time will tell. Yeah, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we should come on and do an anniversary episode of yeah. this exact podcast, like, five years from now. Yeah, and see what you got sure. right and what you got wrong. Yeah. This, the time, by the way, is, like, blowing by. I was expecting that we could, like, talk through so many players, but it's been oh. a blast. But I guess uh, you, you gave me some Holtz. You gave me some Drysdale. Uh, you mentioned Cole Perfetti. I wanted to get to uh, this goalie that Nashville drafted, Yaros. Slav Askarov. Uh, people are probably getting really mad at me if they're like, oh, Winnipeg, why don't you talk about Cole Perfetti? So maybe you could let me know if you have anything more interesting to say about him. But yeah, Askarov is someone that I'm just wondering, like last year, Florida takes Spencer Knight in the first round. Mm-hmm. Now we have Askarov and Nashville, I feel like is in a situation where obviously Rene is on his way out. And if you see Saros, who's been like good, but not maybe as amazing as people were hoping he would be. So I'm just curious to get your sense of his Askarov, someone that we should be expecting to to like come in and like be a starting goalie like sometime soon because usually i don't know with goalies being picked early in the draft it's, it's a pretty rare thing so when you see it it's always something that i want to s- step down yeah. on and see if we think it means something totally so goalies are weird and i am definitely part of the club where you don't draft goalies in the first round but i, I i've seen a lot of yaroslav askarov and one advantage that european players have over younger or uh, north american players like spencer knight is he, you get to play at multiple different levels. So if you're only good enough for the under 18 level, that's where you play. If you're good enough for the under 20 level, that's where you play. If you're good enough to play against men, that's where you play. Spencer Knight, 
didn't have that option. He had only played against USHL competition. And I was never really like blown away with the goaltending that I saw out of him. I just figured he was a fine goaltender. And if you really liked him, you'd take him. Um, but with Askarov, I do not get that impression at all. He gets, he's been tested at multiple levels and every single step of the way, except for a very limited sample at the world, at the world juniors, he looked excellent. Um, the thing that really stands out to me is he seems like a kid who is extremely mature in between his ears. He knows exactly what to do to save the puck. You know, he, he's a, an incredibly athletic player as well. He cuts across angles really, really quickly, cuts off one-timer passes and cuts off those situations really well. Um, you know, rock-solid goaltending ability to stop pucks and just not, re, not cause rebounds. Um, played against men last year. I think he was one of only a very, very small handful of players who played in the VHL, which is the Russian AHL, basically. Uh, full, not full-time, but mo- multiple games, a big enough sample. And he performed very well. So he's basically also playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs of Russia, you know, and he's, he's, a, he's been a goaltender in the KHL this year. He's already hit the ground running. I mean, I know that goalies are a gamble, but I mean, if you're gonna, you know, to me, this is the equivalent of betting on black for goaltenders. You know, you're just taking the one that is just the best bet. And you know, if you win, you're going to hit the jackpot because, mm-hmm. I think he's a tremendously talented goaltender. He has the pedigree and the resume and the history that really doesn't give me much concern. Um, you know, and when those goalies do come along, you can't just say, well, goalies don't belong in the first round. I think where teams go wrong is by what they used to do, which was a lot of, you know, CHL goaltenders, 900 save percentage goaltenders that they think they can morph into high level goaltenders, but that doesn't really happen anymore. And I think now what you're seeing is, especially with Europeans, you know, Askarov this year and next year you're going to get Jesper Volstead, who in my view could even go higher than when Askarov went. Uh-huh. Um, well, I, I, you look at his numbers this year and how there isn't that Lafreniere t- talent this year. And I've watched him play quite a bit and Volstead looks incredible. Like he's an incredible goaltender. I, I, you know, compared to Askarov, I actually like him more. He's just so technical. He's constantly just like, he's, he's like a wall that moves. It's really weird. And so with Askarov, he's more athletic. He more has to put in more work to make the saves and he's not as maybe technical, I would say, but the, this guy for 2021 looks, looks great. But for the predators, I think, uh, Jesper Volstead. So W A L O S T E D T. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think the Nashville predators can be patient, but I think they got a good one for sure. I wouldn't be too concerned. And considering who was on the board, you're going to end up with maybe a middle six center in Anton Lundell, maybe a second line scorer in Seth Jarvis, maybe a top line scorer if he really hits it big. Dylan Holloway, Amirov, Gooley, Reichel, all of those guys are probably going to be serviceable NHL players, but none of them have the potential franchise cornerstone potential that a goalie like Askarov has. So Nashville took a big swing. If you miss, you, you look silly once, but I have... I have no concerns about him, especially considering now that he's in the KHL at 18 years old um, and and doing just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like a really interesting transition time for the NHL. Like next year, we could have a whole bunch of these KHL goalies and the, these Russian goalies like taking over the league, right? We've got Shostyorkin and then Sorokin is going to be playing on the Islanders. And then we're expecting like Samsonov, I guess. Well, yeah, Samsonov will probably be the starter on Washington unless Lungfist uh, really like rekindles something. Uh, and yeah, now we have this guy Askarov coming mm-hmm. up. So it'll be fun to see if like we're going to have a, I'd like to see a year of all three Vesna nominees being Russian yeah. goalies. I'm the last time that's happened. <laughs> be fun. 
So, okay, let's say in your Dynasty League right now, you have the option to either take Askarov or Spencer Knight. Not this... Vo- or- oh, man, I'm the worst. What was the other guy you said? Vorstead? Oh, uh, Wal- Walstead, yeah. Walstead. Okay, so I'll remember him for next year, I promise. Yes. But, like, Askarov or Spencer Knight, who do you think is the more valuable goalie? Askarov. Uh, I mean, the thing, that, the thing that really caught my attention, for example, was at the under-18s, uh, the last time they held the tournament, so I believe that would have been 2019. He was awesome, and there was a game, I think it was a semifinal against the States. That team, the, the States team that year, basically was the Jack Hughes and, and Cole Caulfield show, and if that didn't work for you, you had Turcotte and Zegris and just three straight lines of disgusting talent. But what I saw there was Jack Hughes going cross-ice to Cole Caulfield at least three or four times that game, and Askarov made it look like nothing. And mm-hmm. I'm going, all right, like, that's, that's hard to do. Like, those are, the two, those are two top 15 players eligible. I would say top 10 players eligible for a draft that you're not even eligible for yet. And you just, you just clowned them multiple times in a game where if you lose, you're done. And, I mean, I, mean, I shouldn't say done. They would have gone to the bronze medal. But, yeah. you know, the goal is the gold medal. And he did what he could and, and saved those shots. And I just went, all right. Maybe this guy's actually legit because that was some stuff that an NHL goaltender could do. And, you know, he, he never seemed to get rattled when he was in the net. You know, he always just he, – he strikes me as a guy who is an athletic goalie who is like a, an 18, 17-year-old that acts as if he's a 25-year-old NHL player. I, I really think that there's maturity and athleticism there. Um, and if he can work out, you, you, it, it saves your GM and coach's job indefinitely if you have a goaltender that can stop blocks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's true. It could cover up a lot of things that the team isn't doing right. Yes. So, okay, I guess, yeah, since we're already uh, closing in on an hour here, maybe I could ask you a sort of a more open-ended question now, like of the players who we haven't dug into yet, maybe can you just throw out some people that you think specifically, like for fantasy, like people mm-hmm. who are trying to decide they've got a dynasty draft coming up, you know, Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzler, Raymond, you know, whatever. Some of these guys, Marco Rossi are all taken. Like yeah. who's who's on your radar right now as people that you think, maybe you could also like point out if you think they're sort of like, like short-term or more long-term, but like who are the people who you think are really going to be making impacts for people on their fantasy teams i mean i think there's a few uh i think this year there's a lot of good complimentary scoring for wingers like dawson mercer going to the new jersey devils i think could be an interesting one uh what else brendan brisson to vegas dawson mercer i was curious because new jersey got like also alexander holtz yep. seventh overall yeah and, and so one's a right wing and one is a center i guess the thing is with uh mercer i would wonder again kind of like a turcot thing right where new jersey already has hughes and he yeah so like does he ever get a chance to be more than a middle six guy i think mercer probably projects better as a winger from what i've seen of him oh. uh i i think i think so i think you can he's a he's a player who's at his best in the offensive zone. You know, the thing that I like about him more than someone like a Jack Quinn, though, his transition game offensively is pretty good. And I think, you know, he shows some of the similar issues that Jack Quinn does, but, but the pace of Mercer's game seems a little bit better and his offensive skill in terms of attacking the net is better to me. So I I think Dawson Mercer, if he's slipping in your draft a little bit, could be a good pickup. Uh, Brendan Brisson is another one that comes to mind. I mean, I, I, I think it was JD Burke who put it best in my work, which was like, you're going to get, he's a guy who is going to make it to the NHL just solely based off of his one timer on the power play. Like you can't not put that guy in the NHL because of how good that shot is. And it is very good. So that guy is going to be put in a position to score points. 
I mean, we'll see. I think there's questions about his game, but he's going to be a guy that might be a little bit further out, but he's a good player. Um, sounds, sounds a lot like uh, Victor Olofsson, right? A little like bit. kind of his job. That is kind of his job. Uh, yeah, but Brendan Merson, I think, could be a guy that scores points. Maverick Bork and Ozzy Weisblatt, also other guys that could score points. Jacob Perot, really interesting. A lot of good raw offense there in those guys, uh, at least for first-round picks. Um, beyond that, everyone kind of gets a bit more of a question mark. I mean, there's a lot of guys that could produce a lot of points, but they have some more roadblocks in the way. I mean, but, you know, Maverick Bork to me is another one. I mean, the Dallas Stars love these sort of cowboy hockey guys that I, as I like to call them, you know, where they really focus on offense and, and the defense, you just need to be competent, you know, just, just be fine and have a really good goalie and just flex your offense. And I think Maverick Bork would do really well in a system like that. Just a really creative offensive playmaker. Um, so I think there's a lot of good options in terms of points upside, in terms of just getting guys who will score points. Tyson Forster is kind of like a Brendan Brisson kind of thing to me too. Um, so there's interesting options for sure. Cool. Yeah. And I guess there's, there's so many. I, I feel like at some point we're going to have to get you back to do a deeper dive on some <laughs> of these other players. I did also want to ask you a little bit about some people not taken in this draft, but people yeah, like of sort of I'm looking at for next year. We've kind of talked about Hughes and Kako, so I would definitely wanted to cover. By the way, oh, I should mention one thing I thought was funny. Uh, you obviously know this. There was a guy taken in the third round named like Alex Laferriere. Yes. Someone is going to, by mistake, pick this person thinking they're getting Lafreniere, aren't they? Yep. The LA Kings now have Alex Laferriere and Quinton Byfield, which I thought was very funny. Yeah, they couldn't get Lafreniere, so they got the yeah. next best option. Okay, that was a random thing that I definitely did not need to bring up. But yeah, okay, so let me uh, bring up just some other players. Maybe I'll be could do like a bit of a lightning round just yeah, to sure. think of them. Uh, I loved what I saw from Doc and Bokvist on Chicago last year, how the Blackhawks just decided, you know what, these are young rookies, but we're going to throw them on the top power play anyways and see how they do. And like, maybe they didn't do so amazing. Kirby Doc may be better than Bokvist, but like, either way, now I get really excited about these guys for next season because now they're like 20 year olds who have this like pro experience in prominent roles. Am I right to be like super excited and think that these two are going to have like huge sophomore seasons? I would absolutely agree on Kirby Doc. I think Adam Bogvist, his defense kind of lets him down a little bit, but I think he's going to get there one day. Um, but Kirby Doc, I mean, I saw him in the playoffs this year. I don't know if you did too, but his game just seemed to just continuously improve as the year went on. And I mean, he's a guy who last year when he went off the board at three, I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised. Like I, I, I really liked him all year last year. The big issue with him was that he kind of disappeared for about 20 straight games and didn't do much of anything. But every time I watched him play, it was like the whole game just looks easy when he plays. He just he just gets the job done. He's big, but he's got a ton of skill. He's a good skater for someone his size. I always really liked Kirby Doc. And, and you know, there's a similar vibe to me as like a Marco Rossi, but bigger. You know, Marco Rossi is not the flashiest skater, but he goes out and gets the job done and he's effective. You know, he can put the puck where the opponent isn't. So Kirby Doc took a bit of time to get his feet going and had to go down to the AHL for a little bit. But I mean, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Kirby Doc. And, and I think that for the Blackhawks, I mean, he's a, he's a really good option for them. Boakvist, I think he's a bit more of a work in progress, but I mean, he's still only 20, uh, barely 20 years old. And I mean, I thought his offensive game last year was pretty good. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of rounding things out at both ends for sure. 
Yeah, I guess when I think about Bokefest, he kind of reminds me like a Rossi situation just in that there's not too, too much competition, especially for the offensive roles, like a top power play type spot. Like Duncan Keith ended up taking back over on the top power play at the end of the season. And I don't know how many more years Duncan Keith can be running this top power play. He was already bumped by Eric Gustafsson a couple seasons ago. So I feel like, yeah, Bokefest obviously maybe has to like earn his way into the lineup and be somewhat good defensively, but even just getting on the top power play. I'm mm-hmm. curious to see what kind of offense he can produce just because, like, who else is going to do it? I guess another person that I'm interested in, he hasn't played yet, Trevor Zegras on Anaheim. That's a team where it's been a while since we've had someone really awesome. Like, I know back in the day we had Perry and Getzlaff always getting us points. And then more recently, you know, Ricard Raquel was playing with Getzlaff, and that seemed like a good pair. Now all of a sudden, like, you know, play. Like, they don't really have anyone that I could get super excited about yep. for Zegras to play with. But I also read that he's like amazing and i've been also reading that he might be really good for fantasy because he takes a lot of shots on goal which i'm always a big fan of so how excited should we be about him going into his rookie season i really like trevor zygris i i really really like him i i can't remember where i had him ranked last year but i mean just on terms of his offensive upside and and the the vision and the creativity and the playmaking it's incredible i mean like he you you mentioned some Ducks names right there. And, and I mean, I'd go back even further. I mean, like Paul Correa was an electrifying oh. Duck. And I mean, I look at Trevor Zegras and maybe I don't see the same type of player out of, out of Zegras as I do with Correa. But just in terms of the excitement that he brings to the game, I always loved Paul Correa growing up because of how exciting he made the game. And I think Trevor Zegras is a guy who absolutely sort of has that, 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 type of game to him he he's exciting to watch um i think he's going to be a guy that if he hits in the nhl i hope he does he's going to sell tickets and i think the ducks are going to really really like what they got in him um i couldn't believe he was available at nine but you know he's a really really good hockey player and i think um in a number of scenarios he's very useful and extremely creative he can score on his own stick but to me the vision and the creativity that he has is is second to none and i think that you know he might he might take some time to develop into an NHL player. I don't think there's a rush for him to be a duck next year, but I mean, I, I, I have all the hope in the world that he turns into a heck of a, of a creative, of a creative playmaker. Cause he's just a ton of fun to watch. So if you got him in fantasy, great. If you don't, I would try to get him. Yeah, maybe now's the time. Maybe people just look at that ninth overall pick. Yep. You know, now, nowadays though, apparently ninth is the place to be. You're getting Rossi. You yep. got you got Zegras. So Kravtsov went ninth uh, the year before. He still hasn't done much. And now all of a sudden the Rangers are like totally stacked. I don't know exactly <laughs> what his opportunity could be, but we'll we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess we were talking about how Buffalo maybe blew it on the Jack Quinn pick. Then I said, well, don't worry about it because they got Taylor Hall. So people are going to forget about that. They also have Dylan Cousins coming in who maybe will also help people forget about if they happen to make a bad pick recently. And he's someone that is a center, correct? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yep. Yeah. So I guess now they don't like, – uh, before they traded for Eric Stahl, I was thinking this was another situation where they're desperate for someone because Casey Middlestat doesn't seem to be working out. So after Jack Eichel, who was going to center line two, I guess now Cousins could start and be like that third line center at least for one one or two years until Eric Stahl, you know, is ready to relinquish that role. Uh, But is he someone that you're excited about and think he can make an impact like right away in his rookie season, even if he doesn't have this like prominent role? Um, I think he could be a useful player. I'm not as big on Dylan Cousins and I haven't been for a Mm. while. I, I I don't want to like make it sound like I think he's terrible, but it's more about um, just the overall impact on the game that he has. I think he's going to be a really, really good 
you know, useful top six player for the Buffalo Sabres for sure. Really good offensive player. He's got great speed once he gets ahead of steam going. Um, you know, I, I think there's a good player there for sure. I, I still am a little more excited for someone like a Trevor Zegers, but he's not far behind. I mean, they're, one of the things that kind of surprised me a lot was, you know, people seem to really be clamoring for Braden Schneider this year, for example, as, you know, the big right-hand shot defenseman that everyone seems to want. And I watched one of the games where I tracked Schneider this year was against the Lethbridge Hurricanes and Dylan Cousins. It, it, they basically seem to have the game plan of give Dylan Cousins the puck and attack Braden Schneider wide. And and they did about four or five times. And every single time, he just blew right by him one way or the other. So it wasn't always through his speed. He sometimes had to fight through Braden Schneider's strength and skill. But he still got through him with the possession of the puck. So I, I look at Dylan Cousins and see a guy who can keep defender, keep opponents on their heels and, and try to make a play off of a rush offense. I still am not sure exactly how much of an overall impact player he's going to be down the road, but he's a very good player, I think, is gonna, who's going to be a perfect fit behind a, a player like Jack Eichel if he's on your first line. Yeah, so that's definitely something to watch. Yeah, Buffalo, I guess also another player on their team, which obviously he's not a nobody, like he's some of the people are very familiar with, but Rasmus Dahlin was picked first overall now, I guess, three years ago. And uh, now that Buffalo, like, is am I right to expect that this is going to be like the year of Dahlin? Like, it just seems like everything's coming together. He's gotten better each year so far. Plus now they've got Taylor Hall to help maybe get that power play to do even better than they were before, which wasn't that great. Uh, mm-hmm. So like, are we expecting Rasmus Dahlin to just like totally break out or maybe the 45, 50 point pace that he had last year is what we should just expect still? Well, I mean, a defenseman scoring at a 40 or 50 point pace is very good. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. after we saw Hughes and McCarr last year, it's like, I don't want some 45 point defense. I want like a hundred point, defense. like John Carlson was pacing for a hundred. Yeah. So I, I think it'll be interesting. I am a really, really big fan of Rasmus Dahlin and he's one of these guys where, you see the tools, you see what he's doing on the ice and you see how talented he is, but it still hasn't quite come together entirely uh, like you kind of hope it would. I think he's, I mean, obviously the offensive game is there. He's driving a lot of offense from the point. Um, I'm looking now at who his paramate has been. Like he was playing with Colin Miller most of the year and Colin Miller is an okay defenseman, but I still don't think that's like a top pair that you can really provide with Rasmus Dahlin. I think Dahlin, you know, he, he has a lot of potential. Um, I think, you know, that power play without him was pretty much non-existent. Um, I think as a, as, and again, like you can't lose sight of the fact that this guy is 20 years old. So, you know, give him another, I hope this is a year where he hits the ground running as well. I, they also have Jeff Skinner on that team. Like if cousins makes the team, if middle stat has come back better, um, if Taylor Hall is going to play like Taylor Hall can, uh, that, that is a team that might be able to surprise a few people. I think, especially if Rasmus Dahlin gets some new toys to play with on defense, hmm. um, I, it could be something kind of interesting, but there's still, I think there's still some work to be done in, in Buffalo for sure. Yeah. Wow. By the way, what a pro, by the way, I didn't even tell you that I was going to be asking about Dahlin because it just came <laughs> to me in the moment. You already had a, a full, amazing answer. So yeah, thank Thanks so much again for coming on and sharing your expertise. Okay. I got one more defenseman yeah, that I'll ask course. you about. Yep. Uh, it's kind of similar to an Eric Brandstrom situation. And it's a player who Ottawa could have had, but they of course wanted to get Matt Duchesne. They traded away this pick. And then, you know, people were like a bit like few, okay, we didn't blow it too badly as a Sens fan because they didn't end up giving away the first overall pick. They ended up only giving away the fourth 
overall pick, I believe it was. And Colorado took Bowen Byram with that pick. And now Byram is someone who people are very excited about. Lots of offensive upside. But just like Brandstrom has Shabbat ahead of him, Byram has, of course, Kale McCarr ahead of him. Do you think that Byram... Well, first of all, I guess, what do you think about him in general? And then also, like, what kind of, in terms of fantasy value, what can we expect from him if he is going to be on a team with Kale McCarr for the next five-plus years or so? Oh, yeah. At least? Oh, yeah. Um, so, Bowen Byram, you know, he it's funny. I mean, the Colorado Avalanche seem to not be afraid of players like him, and I'm, I applaud them for it. I don't think you should be afraid of players like Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram who are very brave and they attack really hard. They, they push deep into the offensive zone a lot. And I think if you have a responsible group of guys who understand that about their defensemen playing forward, they can cover for it, or at least they should be able to, at least to a competent degree, or at least that's what the goal should be. Um, I look at Bowen Byram and see one of the more gifted offensive players that are, that, that plays defense that that's out there that isn't in the NHL. Um, he, 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 had a bit of a struggle for the first half of the year, but every single time I watched Vancouver play this year, he was driving through the neutral zone with control of the puck really well, driving into the offensive zone with control really well, attacking the net, getting in front of the net. Um, really, really impressive hockey player. Tons of talent. You know, how he needs to round out his game once he hits the NHL, we'll have to wait and see. I think one more year in junior wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, he's got a lot of potential though. I think that's the big thing that, that Colorado kind of latched onto. And I mean, if you have a one, two punch on your defense of, all right, you, you can have one attacking defenseman in Kale McCarr, but when he comes off the ice, we're going to throw Bowen Byram over. And so that's another guy that's going to be able to keep you on your heels, uh, when, when you are attacking offensively. So, you know, the defensive side of the game might be something that you kind of have to live with being maybe not what you really expect, but he's fine defensively and the best parts of his game are when the puck's on his stick and he gets control of the puck and he gets to quarterback and offense because he really he's impressive when he does it and I think I think that I'm not really too concerned about the long-term uh impact that that could have on on the on the Colorado Avalanche I think he's going to be a great player there Right. And I guess now they do have the opportunity to leave him in the minors for another year if they mm-hmm. want. They just traded for Devon Taves from the Islanders. So this is like a pretty stacked team. They they traded Zadorov and you thought, okay, maybe that's like a spot that Byram could step up into. But like, no, they've got McCarr, they've got Gerard, Eric Johnson, if he's healthy. Ryan Graves had that great season. Devon Taves. So like this team is stacked. They're stacked everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. I don't know how yeah. Colorado got to be such a good team. Uh, so... <laughs> Who who do you, who are you a fan of, by the way? Like, which team are you cheering for? Well, I mean, I've I've actually gravitated more to like, I find guys that I really like in the draft, and I latch onto them no matter what. So, like Elias Pettersson was the first example of that, mm-hmm. where I fell in love with how he plays the game when he was draft eligible, and he's one of the first guys where I was like, okay, I think I know what a hockey player, like a good hockey player, looks like, and I think this is what this guy is, and. I start, you know, that's when kind of the the Twitter thing really started to push off for me. Where I was like, all right, no, you guys aren't paying enough attention to Elias Pettersson. Like everyone's having, everyone has him ranked six, seven, eight, nine, tenth overall. But no, like I think this guy is easy, easy top five. I had him at three, and I went, you know, this guy's really, really good. And you know, so so it didn't matter to me who he went to. And then when he went to Vancouver, you know, I live in Toronto, so like seeing someone that I love play. Well, the, that I love how they play the game that much going to Vancouver, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll tolerate it, I guess, innately. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I don't really care. I would buy a Vancouver Canucks jersey with Pedersen on the back, no question. So 
I tend to more latch on to individuals that I really like in the draft. You know, I can't lie. The team I see the most is Toronto. Um, but, you know, and, and if I'm going to a game, that's probably where I'm going. But absolutely, I, I latch on to individuals and just track them regardless of what team they play for. I am more than happy to admit that the Montreal Canadiens with Cole Caulfield are going to be awesome. Uh, tons and tons mm-hmm. of fun to watch. Um, and amongst all of the other young players that they've drafted and developed over the last few years. So, you know, I try to remain as neutral as I possibly can. Yeah, I mean, Montreal, like, you bring them up, because we've already been talking about them so much recently, like, in our patron Discord and, like, on the mm-hmm. podcast, just because of all the moves they've made bringing in pros, like Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli, and now they signed Gallagher. Like, and, and yeah, you bring up, we haven't even, we were already excited about Suzuki and what he did in the playoffs, and Kakaniemi was starting to look like he's getting ready to step in in a prominent role, and, and now, like, you're right, Cole Caulfield is there. Is there even room for Cole Caulfield? They're like, going to make it. They'll make room. Like, they'll make room. Because he's also a winger, right? Like yep. A, this is, this is going to have to be a team that rolls out a top nine. I feel like they get... Like, who, we were just talking... Oh, LA, we were talking about that. Maybe we'll try to do something like that. But like, I feel like Montreal just has so many good wingers. And they have decent centers. Like at least Cockney, and Suzuki and Deneau. Yeah, it's three solid centers. I feel like I could list like six good wingers. So yeah, it seems like a team that could just have three lines that are all very good at scoring. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem at all. If it were up to me, every single player on my lineup would be able to score. I don't care. <laughs> Just go out and score goals. If we win yeah, that... nine nothing, or if we win nine eight, we still won. That's a good point. Yeah, I guess <laughs> the problem becomes when they all need to get their contract extended. But it looks like Montreal's locking people down for like sure. five years. So yeah, good for the short term. Yeah, I like the Habs. Okay, I'm with you. Let's cheer for the Habs next year. <laughs> sure, we'll call it that. Okay, one last question. Of course. And then I promise to let you go. I guess, like, what, one thing I'm always wondering about is, like, it's easy to predict these, like, early picks to have big rookie seasons. But this past season, we saw Dominic Kubalik come out of nowhere and mm-hmm. have the rookie season he had. We also saw Victor Olofsson come out and, at least at the start of the year, he was on the power play, scoring power play goals every single game. Is there anyone that you have on your radar right now that's, like, someone who wasn't picked let's say in like the top 15 or whatever, but that's going to be a rookie next year that you think we should be watching out for. Ooh. And not um, counting Kirill Kaprizov. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's I'm a, putting you on the spot. A, I know a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, it, it happens. Um, yeah. I mean, 2019 guys, I don't really see any of those. I mean, it, one player that I do really like is, like I, I, I hope I don't see how it happens, but I really hope that this is the year that Jake Bean makes his way into the NHL for the Carolina okay. Hurricanes. Dominic Bach for the St. Louis or not St. Louis, he's in Carolina now, I think. Um he uh you know, he's a guy that I think has a lot of talent, but between the ears has had a lot of issues since he was drafted. But if he's been if he's figured it out and he can manage to wiggle his way uh onto the Carolina Hurricanes this year maybe that could be a situation where you know you see a guy who can score quite a few points and surprise some people because when he really gets playing like his first half last year was bad but his second half was much better and whenever i've seen him play in sweden sweden it's always been like i can see how good you are but you there's you know like there's there's so so much talent but it's just going to be a matter of consistency showing up and keeping his head on straight and putting in the work. But those those two are guys that first come to mind as potential really solid impact players that not a lot of people are thinking about. 
Wow. So uh, Carolina, already a team that we're expecting to be good. And now you've said they might have two sleeper Calder candidates. Potentially. In in, in Vox. That would be great. And by the way, last year, I don't wish this to happen again, obviously, but Dougie Hamilton got injured. And in the end, it was Sammy Vatanen, who they got Mm -hmm. at the deadline, who was quarterback in their top power play. So it's not as if they have like this glut. Like we thought that I guess maybe Jake Gardner would be that you know, second power play guy, but it doesn't seem like they even wanted to give him that job when Hamilton was injured. So yeah, there could be a spot for Jake Bean, but hopefully Hamilton's there and he could continue what he did at the start of the year, which was really exciting before he got hurt. Mm -hmm. All right. So Will, like, thank you so much for coming on. And this time, like I said, it just flew by. This was so fun. I feel like we could keep talking for another couple hours. (laughs) I also live in Toronto. So maybe once this whole COVID thing is over, we can just uh, bring a microphone to a bar or something. Yeah. in the meantime, uh, obviously, I've mentioned some of your your stuff, but like, uh, please take the opportunity to like promote all. I know you have a Patreon, which mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to be checking out after this call. And like, I you know, I've watched your videos, and uh, yeah, how can people find you, and what, what what should people be doing to get the full scouting experience? <laughs> uh, step one would probably be uh, Twitter and YouTube. So any anything, Twitter.com slash Twitter. Wow, I am. It's late. Twitter.com slash scouching for Twitter. You left it all on the table. <laughs> yeah. YouTube, uh, scouching as well. You can subscribe to both. Uh, lots of fun stuff on both platforms. Um, definitely check out the Patreon. There's lots and lots of stuff there for perks and stuff. There's a Discord server. Uh, you get early access to all the videos. I've got draft recap videos going up now for, for everyone, but uh, patrons are getting them early. So they'll start coming out publicly Monday, one, one day at a time. Um, but Right now, I'm uploading three a day, so there's six of them up there. So patrons have access to those right now. Um, beyond that, there's tons of other stuff, data sheets for draft prospects, undrafted guys, guys that have been drafted already. Um, there's all kinds of stuff, so check that out. And uh, beyond that, that's that's about it. Twitter and YouTube is step one. Step two is really up to you. <laughs> all right well we'll definitely link to uh, all of that in our show notes there Great. if you didn't catch all of the links uh thanks again for coming on and good luck in your fantasy draft when did you say that was in a couple days <laughs> yeah the first one starts friday uh that one might take a long time it's a 12 hour clock and it's 31 teams and it's five rounds so i might be drafting until about christmas so thanks. fingers crossed it turns out my way <laughs> this is the year to do a long slow draft like that yes for sure. very true all right well have a good night, and uh, thanks again. This was, this was awesome. Thank you very much. All right. How about that? Thank you so much again to Will Scouch for coming and joining me for all that time to talk through all of these players that were drafted and even players from last year. I wish we could have talked for longer. There, I had a long list of people to talk about. We'll just have to get him back because he was really that good. So yeah, I hope you liked that interview. And yeah, there's still no hockey going on, but Keeping Carlson is going to keep on churning out those episodes. Brian and I will be back with another regular episode of Keeping Carlson next week, so a week from Sunday, to break down all of the remaining free agent signings and trades that happened since our last episode and so we'll make sure to get all up to date by then we'd love to hear from you by the way as we always do like uh, tweeted us at keeping carlson let us know what you thought of our off-season series so far and what you'd like to hear from us going into this new off-season before we get into hopefully training camps or something cool happening soon we'll uh, let you know as soon as we hear what the latest is on the plans for the nhl and of course we have lots of plans over at keeping carlson headquarters for the next season in terms of like with the patrons we're going to be starting up 
the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League like as soon as we can, right? As soon as we hear that the season is starting, we're going to get into the works of planning that it's going to be our biggest season ever of that. And you know, anyone who is a patron of Keeping Carlson can play in the cupful. And also we give other perks to our patrons, or we try at least to make it worth their while. So we've got our patron Discord feed. We do patron casts every week. We actually just did a really fun patron cast on Wednesday. So it's a brand new episode that if you sign up to be a patron, you can go check that out where we answer the questions from all of the patrons all about fantasy hockey. We talked about our own lives a little bit. So that was a lot of fun. So keepingcarlson.com slash patron for all of the info there. Also, I'll just point out that if you're looking for more content from yours truly, I've got a new podcast that I've been doing weekly for the past four weeks about hockey cards. And even if you don't collect hockey cards, I think you might enjoy just listening and hearing what's going on with them. It's a lot like fantasy hockey, right? You're trying to buy cards when their value is low and then maybe try to sell it when the value is high. So the podcast is called the Near Mint Hockey Card Podcast. And yeah, I'd love for you to check it out and let me know what you think about that. But okay, with that, I'm going to cue the outro music and I'm going to not really read you any credit because I don't really have any credits. It was mostly Will Scouching and he shared all of his links. You definitely want to be following him on Twitter and going to his blog. And again, all of those links are in the show notes, including his Patreon. So thanks again for listening and we'll be back at you with our next regular episode in around a week. And until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone.